This episode of Second Floor Podcast is brought to you by Alberta Association of Optometrists, proudly celebrating a century of caring for Albertans. It happens. Many people don't call their optometrist first for urgent eye care when they need it. So from spring cleaning mishaps to winter eye infections, if you or your family have an eye emergency, doctors of optometry are trained to diagnose, treat, and prescribe medications. There's no referral necessary. And just a reminder, Alberta health coverage is available towards your urgent eye care appointments. To find an optometrist in your area, visit optometrist.ab.ca. The Alberta Association of Optometrists represents almost 800 doctors of optometry in over 80 communities across Alberta. Members are highly trained, regulated health professionals who provide primary eye health and vision care directly to Albertans. Learn more at optometrist.ab.ca. All right, we are welcome back with the one and only Shara Vajant from SVPT. Uh, it's actually the exact same day we're doing this, yeah. so we're, we're just Minutes being apart. yeah, we're just being pretty uh, creative and smart with our timing. So we thought we'd do both episodes back to back. Shara has been a pioneer in the Edmonton uh, community as someone who's been in the personal training industry for several years, and she runs her own. Uh, fitness center, SVPT. Shara has also worked with several uh, local MMA superstars in helping them gear up to the UFC, as well as um, one person in particular who's not a local. They are from the US, and that's Donald Cerrone. So that's someone who is, uh, in my opinion, one of the goats of the UFC, definitely one of the best pound for pound. And uh, Shara has been someone who's got to see um, you know, his journey for, for, uh, how long now, how long have you been training him for? Sure. 2017. Yeah. So for about four years now. So, uh, in this part of the episode with Cheryl, we're going to talk about the importance of strength training for MMA athletes, as well as, uh, professional athletes in general, yeah. you know, um, something that I've personally seen that I wanted to share is someone such as Tanner Bozer, who is one of my brothers, yeah. um, you know, best friends and training partners and a friend of mine as well. He himself has even talked about Chera, the importance of strength training and how so many people have seen the physical transformation, but it's a whole other thing when you tie into the performance of how they are in building strength and in making sure that there's links behind how you train them strength wise in the gym behind the bar to what they're actually doing with their activity. So um, this one can be as long winded as we like. Yeah. I just kind of wanted to hear from your perspective. If you can uh, be, be a human textbook today, if you will, and share with us why um, someone who's a professional athlete, specifically in combat sports, why they should even consider adding strength and training as a non-negotiable right. in the mix of their training. Um, strength is king. Like that is, that is, if you were to sum it up in one word, strength is king. And, um, you can't be fast and explosive without being strong and being able to put force into the ground, you know, in, in any athletic, you know, like 
track and field, like football, any of that. Uh, being able to put force into the ground and move quickly comes from being strong. Um, for MMA, um, unfortunately, strength is now just coming around. It's just coming around. So when I started 13 years ago, it was poo-pooed because it was just a gas waster because there wasn't a lot of good strength and conditioning coaches around that understood what they were doing. And also strength and conditioning 13 years ago, the skills coaches didn't like it because it just they just seen us as making their athletes tired for practice. But at the time, there wasn't a lot of strength and conditioning journals around that were addressing MMA. Um, there was not a lot of coaches around. It was just, there was no literature. There was no books or articles. And 13 years ago, 13 years ago, the, the internet wasn't as big as it was now, right? Like 13 years is a long time. So 13, 14 years ago, there just wasn't enough education out there to make the athletes understand how important strength is. Um, and for MMA, a lot of the fighters are scared of strength because it's a weight class sport. If I lift, I'm going to put on weight. If I put on weight, I'm going to have a harder weight cut. And I can't express enough to fighters that um, when you lift, you tend to be leaner. And the leaner you are, the easier the weight cut. Facts. Like that is, that is, that is how it goes. Like I'm, again, not a nutritionist or a dietitian, but even the dietitians at the UFCPI will say that too. The leaner you are, the easier the weight cut. And being and, you know, working on strength, which can put on size if it's programmed to put on size. Um, some guys need to put on size for their respective weight classes if they're in a bigger weight class, right? And then there's the misnomer that uh, putting on size or strength training will make you slow, which is also wrong. Like it's just, listen, it comes down to application, it's about understanding proper programming at the proper time with MMA. It's it's like if this guy doesn't have a fight coming up, we're going to do a simple strength program to keep his gains going for strength. Um, and then when a fight comes up, we modify those the strength program for the fight coming up. You know, we work on speed strength or or moving like I can't. It's hard to get specific because every fighter is different that I've worked with. And every fighter responds a little differently. And that's, a, that's about getting to know your athlete, getting to know their training schedule, getting to know their skills coaches, getting to know their lifestyle, getting to know all of that kind of stuff, what they have access to if they can't see you twice a week, you know? And how many days a week should they come in? Like, it, there's so much going into that. Yeah, wow. That's, it's very accurate when you share because there's so many myths behind the fact that someone may lose their speed or um, let's just look at it this way. And I hear this a lot. Even when I was running, uh, I believe when I was running, it incredibly increased my endurance and it incredibly increased my stamina to the point where I felt like I was able to last a lot more rounds. Now, I'll be honest. Was it making me a better jujitsu athlete? No, it wasn't. No, and that's I'm insurance sh- based. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, when you look at it from a strength perspective, how do you create that buy-in for a fighter when he or she might go, well, I don't get it. Do you see me, you know, needing to squat or do you see me needing to pick up a, a, a dumbbell, you know, when I'm, when I'm fighting? You know, like how do we allow them to start recognizing that there is the tie in between both. Yeah. Yeah. So 
Yeah. Um, I made the mistake when I, of course, when I first started training fighters was that every exercise I had had to look like something they were doing in the cage that, so that the, there was buy-in for trans, you know, because then I could show that there was transfer like a, you know, um, just to get them to, to buy into Which it. seems accurate. Which Normally, seems, you know, a trainer it, would want to do that. In right? theory, it seems, it's accurate, but at the same time, you know, as I know now, it, it doesn't transfer. It just gets you more fatigued on something you've already done 16 times in your skill or thousands of times in your skill sessions, right? Yes. How do I tell um, a fighter that squatting or deadlifting or bench pressing or like, like those are the very meat and potatoes are going to help them, you know, in jujitsu or throw a punch or any of that? Well, strength transfers to power. And if you don't have the strength, you don't have power. And if you want to punch somebody out, you need to have something in your hips. Yeah. You need to have some strength in your hips and you need to be able to throw that, you know, and then the programming will fine tune that into speed, but there has to be the meat and the potatoes there of the strength first to transfer over into the, into the power. Yeah. And, and for, listen, every fighter wants to be powerful. Right. Like if the, if there was the one thing that I could hear from every fighter, it would be, I want to be uh, more explosive. I want to be more explosive. I want to be more fast. Well, um, you need to build some strength first and then we'll build that, that power. Cause that power will come. You can't put force into the ground with weak being weak. Yeah. Right. So, um, buy-in was always hard because of course you have strength and conditioning coach. So, um, they come to you first and they just want to work on conditioning because they're scared of the strength. Um, but when I sit them down and say, okay, well, what are you doing in your other skill sessions? Well, you know, my, uh, Muay Thai coach has me doing a thousand kicks and we run around here for, you know, you know what I mean? It's like all conditioning. Oh, it's all conditioning. <laughs> so why would I make you like what I do for our, like for me, for conditioning, it's giving them what they're missing, which is, um, easy stuff it's like long slow duration uh the aerobic so in order to be able to this is where a lot of strength and conditioning coaches make a mistake in mma is they think that everything has to be interval based because mma is acyclical it's never running for five minutes unless you're certain fighters but no that's (laughs) big but um it's always acyclical however in order to be able to be acyclical you need to have the aerobic base so if you have uh, no aerobic base, you're going to last this long. But if you have an aerobic base, you're going to be able to have those intervals. And my conditioning education comes from Joel Jameson, who trains, and of course, John Chamberg and Lauren Landau. But Jameson had a great system. He trains Demetrius Johnson, who Mighty Mouse has the best gas tank the best gas tank. So I learned from Joel Jameson about... You can do 10 rounds. If you oh, easily. And, um, you know, like we have to look to the fighter as well, but we have to look and see what they're not getting. Like, what are you doing in your skills? And then my job is to fill the gaps because I don't need to create more stress on your body. I don't need to gas you. I need to build you up. So what I, th- I see strength and conditioning um, as is allowing you, is um, giving you the strength and the conditioning to apply the skills and the technique that you learn in your skills training. And full disclosure, of course, when I first became a trainer, I used to use burpees and tire my tire my trainers out or fighters out because that's what I thought I was supposed to do was condition them, you know, gas tank, gas tank, gas tank. Um, also, during when I first became a trainer for fighters, uh, none of the skills coaches would talk to me. 
Uh, so I had to figure the shit out on my own. I had to rely on the fighter. What was the, some other reasons why they wouldn't talk to you? I'm, I'm curious. That's Because uh, I'm a pretty, girl. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was going to take out. a wild guess on that, and that yes. must suck. Oh, yeah. I mean, that must have been like an upward ladder to continuously yeah. feel like you got to gain respect out of, which shouldn't... It's just sad to hear. It's, that, a male, it's a male-dominated industry, strength and conditioning, and it's a male-dominated sport. Well, you just proved to the masses... You know, the fact that any female can do it. For sure. You know like, what I mean? It, I just let my athletes talk for me. I didn't need to make a fight. I didn't need to have a tantrum. I'm not saying I had some weak moments and some upsetting moments where I lost my shit because, you know, doors were slammed in my face. But uh, at the end of the day, if you want to make a, you know, a showing, let your athletes show for you. And when I was training everybody, everybody was doing so well. And even while, even though I was making mistakes along the way, full disclosure, like now I know better, obviously. Um, but it was, we were winning and, you know, there was at the height of my um, career in MMA, I had a, I think it was an 86% win rate with the guys that I was working with. And I was keeping track of how many wins and losses and, and what things that we needed to change and stuff like that and buy in. And yeah, you know, the, it hasn't been easy, but I just let my athletes talk and, you know, I, I hate the whole female thing. I'm not a, co- I'm not a female coach. I'm a coach. Yeah. And I, and I just exactly. want to, I just want to seat at the table. So when the doors were getting slammed, it was like, that's, that's the coach's ego talking. They're not, they don't care about their athlete. They care about their own selves. Um, I'm here to watch practice because I want to see what's going on and see how my athlete's moving. I want to see how he's recovering I want to watch these rounds so I can see what he's doing in between. You know what I mean? Like and that's those... what separates you from being, again, back to our previous episode, a good coach to an yeah. elite coach. Yeah. You're taking the extra time to actually watch and see how they're moving. Yeah. You know, you're not just getting them to say, well, tell me. Yeah. Let me see it with my because own Because they have such bias. Oh, I crushed that round. Really? <laughs> I don't know what world you're in, but that was, you know what I mean? So it's like you have to go in and pay attention to these things in MMA. And it's tough because there's so many disciplines. It's not just going to a football practice and watching a football practice. It's going to six different types of training in a week to see what's going on because there's so many disciplines in MMA, right? Like if I wanted to watch how my football was, like I trained rugby players. So it was like, we're a boxer. It's just going and watching their training or like going to the rugby the rugby practices and I could just watch and it was just two practices a week I'd go there but if for an MMA you have to go to all the different skills to see what's going on so if we compare and we kind of touched the service on this yesterday when we had coffee was there's really taking the time and energy into dissecting the game and and knowing how to play it knowing how to win compared to knowing how they need to move properly Mm -hmm. Um, is it a is it a duality of both? Mm-hmm. I mean, like when you look at time and how you spend it, um, do you prefer that if one wants to specialize as a strength and conditioning coach for any sport, how much do they need to know about that sport? Mm-hmm. In particular, for you knowing MMA, I don't fight. <laughs> I'm doing pretty good, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have agree. never played sports in my life. I was not growing up. I I just don't play sports. I don't play well with others. I'm bossy. I'm, I know, like, you know what I mean? So it's like, um, yeah, I just understand the demands of the sport. You understand from a hockey player to a rugby player to a boxer to MMA, you just need to watch and understand the demands of the sport and what they need for that position or what they need for like MMA is like not a position, but you just have to understand the demands. Um, I did Muay Thai for four years uh, because I wanted to understand what it was like to get punched in the face. 
So I did it. It's clean. You know, I sparred. I now understand. Like I understand the the first day I sparred ever. I I was like, I get it. Yeah, I you, get it. Like you, you know, that's one like, of my favorite things for yeah. my kickboxing clients is when they go, okay. I'm going to watch UFC so much more differently now. <laughs> right? <laughs> Total appreciation. So it's like I, I wanted to do it so I could get an understanding of it, um, but it wasn't necessary, right? I just had a different perspective. You know, I think every coach should try to understand where their athletes are, you know, in their training and whatnot and how hard it is on them psychologically. Um, so I think that's important, but it's not always necessary because coaching, because you're not coaching the sport, you're coaching the person. So it's important to understand that when you, when you see that, like every, every fighter I had, I, I tried to coach very individually in terms of what they needed, even though I trained them in groups because MMA is really good for camaraderie that way and training together and motivation and stuff like that. But there were some guys that I knew I could only train one-on-one because they just had a different demand. So you have to coach that, that athlete, them, not the sport. And then, of course, understand the demands of the sport and then and then program accordingly, right? Do you feel like because you have that mentality, which I think is beautiful, like not train the sport, you're training the person, you're leading with that mentality. And maybe we could argue their boxing coach or their MMA coach might be looking at it on the other side. They are training for the sport. So would you argue that naturally through us being trainers that the relationship was much more concrete with your athletes compared to how it was with the other coaches or it was tough to say it's tough to say because it varies with the person right like like there were some guys that were really close with their jujitsu coach or really close with their striking coach right Um, this is a team i I hope people understand that yeah because it is a team right well 13 years ago it was hard like i could write a book like and i'm sure some of the my old fighters listening would say you know it was crazy 13 years ago when you write a book yeah i've (laughs) I've actually started to be honest i have started writing stuff down uh so um yeah it was just it is very much a team sport mma even though it's very much individual in the cage um and it is hard because there's so many different disciplines to get everybody on the same page um that yeah. is why the most successful MMA gyms have collaboration. You know, they have collaboration between coaches and having it all under one roof is obviously the best way to go. Yeah, you need Not, that. you know, I've heard mixed reviews from fighters too. It's like, I actually like to have to go to a different gym to work on strength and conditioning for a break from this gym, right? For an environmental break, for a energy break, for all of that. So I get that. Um, but it shouldn't be so hard for coaches to collaborate and talk. But it's still a problem in MMA right now. It's even when I'm like, when I was just even down in Vegas for Cowboys last fight, talking to some of the PI coaches, uh, it's still a problem. There's still a problem of collaboration and communication amongst coaches. Oh, it's so and, frustrating because ego and politics. Ego and, and politics. Or oh, they were rocking our badge. No, our guys need to be in this one gym. If you go to that gym, you're never coming back. It's yeah. such bullshit. And, and that goes to training, you know, about Sucks. about holding your cards close and whatnot. It's like, I, I, you know what? I'll give you all 13 years of my programming. You can laugh at it and, and see how it's progressed. I have no secrets. Um, I made mistakes. And in fact, the programs that I create for fighters never look the same at the end of camp <laughs> because of injuries and changes. And you know what I mean? So it's like, it's just, there's no secrets. 
It's yeah. just, it comes down to the application of the coach and understanding their athlete and what they need. Um, and then, of course, understanding the sport. This is really unique because you're coming from that coach's lens. And I'll almost put it from a bird's eye view perspective of how a disciplined, dedicated athlete looks at it. Because my brother and I, my brother KB, he's, yeah. a, he's a professional MMA fighter. He's had loved ones in his life. Let's just say our family and even some friends share with him uh, for, for many years now, you know, win or lose, that, oh, maybe you should, like, go out from Edmonton and try a bigger team or or go to a different gym that has different coaches that might be able to give you the secrets. Like, like you know, I say secrets as the word, but in retrospect, people are just saying that there's there's better services out there than what you're currently getting. And my brother kind of always now especially looked at that as a slap across the face because him being that person who feels like his cup is being filled by his coaches now, mm-hmm. he's like, it's it's not my coaches. Like, it's just I got to continuously get better and my coaches have all the skill sets that they need to make me better. But can I play devil's advocate? Sure, advocate yeah. No, because, and I wanted to know your opinion. Because um, I think it's really important for athletes to experience other gyms and other coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think that it's important to travel and to see what else is out there. To compare. To compare. Um, but to learn. No man is an island. And it's not against any coach that would be mad at you going to another gym. It's a, it's a him problem. Mm-hmm. It's not a you problem. It's a him being insecure in what he's providing. You would be scared of your athlete going to train in another gym. Why? Yeah. Oh, because I might, might lose him. Why would you lose him? If you're doing your job and providing what he needs, then you, then you shouldn't be worried. So a little story here, and maybe Mitchie's listening. I don't know, but... Mitch left me to go try other strength and conditioning, Mitch Clark, uh, tried strength and conditioning somewhere else. And, um, I couldn't be mad. It was like, if I can't give you what you need, I surely want you to find what you, what you need. I want to see you succeed. So please go try the gym. He came back eventually. Right. But he had to go try something else. And, and I, I commend him for that. And I wasn't, I wouldn't, I was never mad. Of course, the human in me get sad because you get connected with these guys and you can't help but take it personally but I didn't take it personally like later because I realized like this is good for him right to go experience other things and they will eventually come back like that is so important for fighters to go experience other things because you get comfortable in your in your coaches and in your gym and comfort is dangerous yeah comfort is very dangerous so it's not like you know, go spend, it's not like you're going to leave forever. Go spend a couple weeks at a certain gym out of the country and experience their ways of doing things. You might learn something. You have to learn something. Yeah, it's so true. And I'm glad you share that because that just shows that the relationship you've built with that person is far more important than them just being a client. For sure. hundred percent. That's what coaching is, right? Um, of course there has to be boundaries like on, on our time as coaches, because we have to put boundaries on um, how much an athlete can take from us because we're still humans and we're still in the in a business. And but at the same time, we have to be able to be in a position with that athlete to be comfortable to say, "You need to go try this place," or yeah. "Go ahead," or that athlete needs to feel comfortable enough to say, "Listen, I need to go try another place." Do you cool. think? I, I'm curious to know because I felt this way before, and there's so many things that you're saying that I resonate with. And I actually had a, a the shitty end of the stick from uh, from previous coaches. Is 
is it up to the athlete or the coach to decide upon an athlete potentially going elsewhere or just more so exploring? Not the fact that they're saying, okay, go elsewhere, but more so like, I'll be honest, I felt it before. I felt being, let's say, one of the top 10%. Mm-hmm. I felt that. I was like, you know what? Go, it's going good. I feel like a winner every time I go into the gym. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll pick and choose who I want to go with. Roles will go well. Sparring will go well. And then I'll compete. And I'll compete against a very specific gym. And every single one of those guys that end up sparring and fighting me at that competition kick my ass. Yeah. Only to the point where by the fourth or fifth time, Shara, I'm curious. Go there. I'm curious. You know, you and gotta I, go to the places that are kicking your ass. Yeah. Because they're doing something right. And I, you know what? I did just that. And I think the thing that sucks is I tried my best at that time almost uh, about two and a half years ago. Mm. Yeah. Right around that timing where, yeah, like, you know, I looked at my coach as like, he at that time was like a, I'll be honest, like a second dad to me. You know, like he saw me since I was 16. Yeah. I've almost been at the place now for at that time a decade almost. And I was just like, hey, like, I remember just being very cordial about it and saying, listen, if I decide to go there and check it out and I let you know how it goes and I really like it, I'm not disrespecting or disregarding everything you've done for me up until mm-hmm. this point. But I feel like at this point, whatever they're doing, I can excel more in. And again, from a business perspective, I was their kickboxing coach. Yeah. And I said, I'd still love to teach my class if that yeah. happens. Full transparency. The way he handled it, I felt it it, it, it in a way, it kind of like blew up in my face. I, I wasn't surprised because I kind of knew who I was dealing with. But my coach at the time said, yeah, you know what? If you go there, don't expect to come back. And just right there, plain and simple, I had every reason to believe how everyone else felt in that similar exchange. I was like, damn, to think. Caging, caging your athletes is going to backfire. Caging yeah. your athletes and not – and and – saying that you can't do this is going to backfire. They're going to feel trapped. Um, that's suspicious. That, sorry, that's suspicious. Like, totally. Why, why can't I go do this? Like, what, what, why is that threatening to you? How is me becoming better going to hurt you? With Pod Power, our sponsors are making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. This episode is helping us give a pod power shout out to Book Woman. Book Woman is a podcast about editing, publishing, and writing Indigenous stories. Three Métis librarians representing nations from across the homeland aim to inspire Indigenous peoples to share their stories in whatever form that they enjoy. Guests include Indigenous storytellers from diverse mediums like podcasting, burlesque, books, comics, social media, films, music, and everything in between. You can listen and find out more at bookwomanpodcast.ca. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Is it because I may get better with them? or And, and maybe I will, but at the same time, I'm still grateful for how far you've brought me. There's never a day that goes by where I'm never not grateful for everything that every fighter and athlete has taught me, even if they've left me, even if the ones that have left on a bad note, you know what I mean? And that, and that's just another discussion, but the one it's like, I'm forever grateful for what these athletes have taught me. Right. Um, I made a lot of mistakes and I just never thought one of those mistakes were ever telling them they couldn't go try somewhere else. 
because I just felt like, you know, of course the ego part, it says like, oh, I'm not good enough. Like, you know, that's, am I not good enough? Am I doing something wrong? Or you could step back and say, do I need to change and evolve? Is there, is this, is this a sign or let's see how this plays out. Let's see how this plays out. He's going to go try another place. Maybe he likes it. Maybe he stays. Maybe this is going to force me to be a better coach. Maybe this is going to, you know, but at the end of the day, I want my athlete to succeed. And if he yeah. needs to succeed somewhere else, cool. You know, exactly. like, like even, even with working with cowboy, like, um, cause he had, uh, Lawrence Herrera as his coach who they have a gym together and Lawrence just wasn't, Lawrence just wasn't as available as cowboy wanted him to be anymore. Cause he was running the new gym. So that's how I came about into training them. How did that happen? Especially with you being out here. Um, <laughs> Cowboy was here filming uh, Puppy Love, a movie. And I saw that he was in Edmonton and I reached out to his coaching staff, who I know through th- when he was at Jackson's at the time and said, oh. hey, if he needs a place to train, cool. Like, you know, at the t- and this is what right before he just got the Lawler fight. So uh, I said, my gym's open. So I ended up training him like three or four days a week because he was going to do 170. So he really wanted to put on some size so, or beach body as he calls it. And he was like, I'm only here for beach body. I don't want to do cardio. <laughs> but um, um, yeah, so then he we hit it off. We just hit it off. And that was in 2017. And I went down there right before the Lawler fight because his, like Lawrence was, was building Performance Ranch and um, just kept going back and forth and then ended up just staying down there most of <laughs> the last couple years um and but Lawrence never was threatened by me awesome. I I first and foremost it was Lawrence how the fuck do I train this dude like th- this guy is out of control yeah. right like I I needed him like I said I don't know what the fuck I'm doing with this guy like I know what I'm doing but I don't know what I'm doing with this guy so what he, made him out of control was he like he could do anything like- um no he was <laughs> he was hard to nail down for training uh, <laughs> he loves to, he loves to play, right? Yeah. And he he's not a fan of the training as much as he says that in the videos. He's a liar. Um, <laughs> but um, Donald, you just got called out. <laughs> but um, so I I kept it, like Lawrence wasn't threatened by me for it was a win for Lawrence because it was very much still his athlete, but now someone there who me and him had presented together at NSCA concert, um, you know, um, events, and um, he came to my sports combat. Um, thing at the PI, like we were on the same page, same page about our training methodology. So he knew that me coming in was a good thing, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, so he wasn't mad. And like, to this day, we're still very much, you know, good acquaintances and, 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 and peers and stuff like that. And I I still reach out to Lawrence every now and again, like, cause the last fight, long story short, Calvi thought he could do a long distance bike ride for a $300,000 bet. And Lawrence had to help me on that one. So anyway, it, it fell through, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> but um convincing. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it's idea. just like having peers and, and and coaches like that that you can reach out to with your ego aside and say, you know what, I need help on this, or or I'm gonna send my athlete to you. Here here's another one. Uh it's very well known that um the life cycle of coaches and athletes do reach a point where there's no more evolution. Mm-hmm. where there's no more learning, um, there's comfort, um, so there's maintenance, there's no, you know, so it's okay to say, you know what, I'm going to send you my athlete or that coach and that athlete should be comfortable in the fact that the coach is saying, Hey, I think you should go check this place out give it a shot. Tell me what you think, you know, cause I really think it'd be a good change for you. 
there's a psychological component there with the athlete be like, are you dumping me? Are yeah. you firing me? Mm-hmm. But it's like, it shouldn't be because it should be, I care about your progress and your success as an athlete. Therefore, I'm going to recommend you go give this place a try because there's just a life cycle. I, I reach life cycles with certain athletes, um, you know, that left me and I was okay with it. Well, I mean, you're talking now about don't handhold your client for yeah. the rest of your life. They are responsible you know? for their own success. Not, yeah, not just for a paycheck, but to make sure that that client is going to end up independent and recognizing by that point, they're ready to try something else. Yeah. Maybe it's with you. Maybe yeah. they're calling the shots and they say, hey, you know what, yep. Shara, if you're willing to learn, I really want to get into some... Uh, in some powerlifting. I want to do a powerlifting meet. This whole time you've been doing circuit level training with yep. them, been teaching them strength training for MMA, and they hit you with that. Mm-hmm. That's like, okay, well, am I going to be the one who's willing to reprogram that for you? Or hey, I've got, I've got my, I've got my guy Mitch. Yeah. You no, know, he's been doing powerlifting. I just got him onboarded on my team. Yep. Give him a try. Yeah. Right. And uh, I think that's important to address mm-hmm. because I'll walk into a client situation, and let them know that I'm gonna. Talk about the exercise, explain the benefits, and one day I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on the spot. I'm gonna tell you to teach me, mm-hmm. and that's one step closer now. Yeah. One step closer to you being able to come into the gym on your own. Yeah. And now if you're doing that on your own, hey, you know what? My work here's done. Yeah. Or we just rechange the program, or you go somewhere else. So and I'm glad you you addressed that. And we're not. We're, and I mean, we're not doing powerlifting with MMA, right? No, I mean. Never. This is this is the way I look at it. No powerlifting for MMA. I, no I, powerlifting for athletes unless they're powerlifters. Yeah, that's true. I look at it. In, <laughs> I, I look at it in this sense, though, because okay, so I I'm not doing MMA. I'm doing jujitsu. Yeah. Right. Still no powerlifting for jujitsu. There's no transfer. I'm curious to know. So you don't think there's a direct transfer at all? Okay. There's more risk. Than, listen, there's more risk than reward. So do you think I'm wasting my time doing the Wendler program then? Not the Wendler. That's not okay. power, that's not Fair. powerlifting. That's I'm confusing that now with. Are um, you talking powerlifting like uh, one rep max type stuff? No, no, no. I'm talking about. Okay, if you're so, doing Wendler and you're in off season per se, yeah. Wendler's a great program to build strength in the off season when you don't have any competitions coming mm-hmm. up. You bet. I'm talking about like your big three, right? Like your oh, yeah. bench, your squat, your mm-hmm. deadlift, right? Ben- benches for okay. Barbells and fighters tend to not go well mm-hmm. for a couple reasons. Yeah. Wrist mobility, yeah. Um, and a lot of fighters have very weak wrists, believe it or not. Oh, yeah. Um, so listen, it's about the, yeah, the exercise. If you're gonna bench press, I prefer dumbbells personally. Mm-hmm. Um, cowboy, I can't, I barely can do cow, um, certain things with him because of his wrists and yeah. stuff like that. So, Fair. um, you have to pick the exercise and then apply it to your athlete accordingly. Mm. But Wendler is a good good for off-season gains type of a thing. And by yeah. off-season, I mean I'm not going to be fighting for at least three or four months. Okay, so I'm going to, you know what I mean? Like it's not in-season competition time. Because I'll tell you, I'll give you an idea of what I'm doing right now. I'm mm-hmm. doing like, I'm doing four days a week, mm-hmm. starting this week. Mm-hmm. I, I took a little bit. My camp started four weeks ago. Um, but for a jiu-jitsu uh, match? For jiu-jitsu, for Pan American Games. Okay. For September. And then Nogi Worlds in You're October. You're doing Wendler four weeks before a competition? Yeah. Like, I don't... Probably not a smart idea. Like, what do you think? Because smart I don't... Idea or not listen, I don't idea. believe MMA or any combat athletes should be doing one rep maxes of anything. That's fair. 
That's for fine. for a reason. Because we're doing estimated one rep maxes. I think that's one of the biggest things. That yeah, that yeah yeah. Program. With Weddler, it is estimated right? for sure. Because it gives you the calculation. But you're it, still doing near the end. You're still doing a one rep. Like I just feel there's way sub maximal. Right? Way yeah. I I like sub maximal. I like Those moderate loads. Um, there's way more risk than reward for that type of training for combat athletes. Yeah. Um, be, but for you, you're doing jujitsu and it's one discipline for a fighter that's doing MMA so that it, there's so many things and so many factors. Um, strength is super important, of course, to keep your, uh, muscles, tendons, joints, ligaments, all that healthy and strong, right. Um, pliable, um, you know, aside from helping with the sport, it keeps you healthy but it will make you unhealthy if it's done incorrectly. And that's where a lot of fighters don't like strength training because they have bad programming, period. Mm -hmm. Strength training shouldn't crush the fighter. You're already getting crushed in all these other sessions. Strength training should be building you up, not breaking you down. Okay, so this is really good to know because I don't want myself to be confused or anyone else when you share the importance of why fighters should strength train. What does your typical strength training program look like? And it's I know it's very boring. I know it's, it's yeah. It's very boring. It's very like, case by case. But if you want to share maybe okay. Donald Cerrone's. So right? um uh Cowboy's a long His Cowboy wouldn't be it. my typical because he's uh he's a very special case. Fair. So yeah. if it was a healthy fighter, mm-hmm. um, you know, coming in, uh based on their schedule, I would recommend minimum of two days a week strength training and we hit the pillars we heal i i do a ton of unilateral work mm-hmm. we don't back squat way too much risk and reward for that yeah. most fighters have issues even being able to hold the bar behind their back yeah. so it's either safety bar squat or a zercher squat you know um so we start with a little bit of obviously movement and mobility work um to ease into it Good. then we start with our power work depends on the fighter some fighters some of my guys had whole power days and just strength days. But, um, I found more bang for your buck by doing strength and power mixed. So mm-hmm. I start with them with their power work, jumps, uh, throws, anything plyometric power based, hand cleans, that kind of stuff, depending on the fighter, of course, or kettlebell swings, because not many fighters can do hand cleans. Um, and then we move to our strength work and the rep ranges are anywhere depending on where they are in their, you know, in their cycle, uh, anywhere from five to 10, depending mm-hmm. on where they are. Right. Sure. It's not at a high volume. It's yeah. It's not a high volume because injury, unless we're yeah. doing off season hypertrophy where they want to put on some size because they're in a, they're moving up weight class. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's just strength, we, we tend to do five to eights. Sure. Right. Um, and then it's like, I like to pair uh, upper body or sorry, a lower body strength, bilateral movement so say a squat uh then i pair it with a unilateral um so if the squat's a push then i do a unilateral pull Mm. so it's all about like more bang for your buck if their legs aren't working then work their upper body um and then we do some type of core training and we do these complexes um depends sometimes it's two exercises sometimes it's three um and then if they're getting ready for a fight then we have a you know we change up the rep ranges and then we I do French contrast training closer to a fight. What's that? So it's it's basically where you do a strength exercise and you pair it with a power the similar power exercise. Oh. So you do a um, squat and then you pair it with a jump. Mm-hmm. So it's just uh, working on the uh, the stretch elastic, that type of thing. 
Yeah, um, it's my dogs out there <laughs> causing a tornado. I apologize. It's okay. um, Tough to ignore, it's, right? It's, I love dogs. Um, <laughs> yeah. Squirrel. Um, so, so depending, like three to four weeks out from a fight, we do the French contrast training. But up until that point, we're doing just pure strength of five to eight reps. A lot of unilateral work. Mm-hmm. No sport happens on two feet. Mm-hmm. So why would you back squat? So if we're going to talk transfer, yeah, like back squat to me is like one of those exercises that are not a lot of people could do them well. And I'm talking, because I am a stickler for form. If oh, they yeah. can't do them well, why would you force them? Trap bar is one of my staples because everybody can do that fairly well um, as opposed to barbell deadlifts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, very meat and potatoes, chins. Trap bars are great because they purposely put you in the, in the yeah. movement. Yeah, you know, without exactly. Having to without think having so to coach, right? Yeah. They That's can the learn it themselves. Part. And then like chins, uh, rows, bench. I I love floor presses, hip thrusts. Yeah, like I very meat and potatoes. And my training is boring. I'm sorry, but boring works. Yeah, there's nothing sexy and secret about what I do. And it's the same stuff that I do with cowboy. In fact, usually I get the. <laughs> Usually in a session, he's like, oh, this is the same fucking thing we did last week. And I'm like, that's how you progress. Exactly. Do you throw one punch when you're doing your striking? No, you throw a thousand. Yeah. I said, so why wouldn't you lift the weight? No, because he hates it. He hates that I that we do the same stuff. We did this last week. It's every like, trainer's uh, problem, including even with working with professionals. Yeah, it's, it's just like, like we did this already. We did this last week. I'm like, yeah, now you're going to do it again, but you're going to do it better. Yeah, because that's progress. 5% yeah. more. Yeah, because <laughs> that's progress. You did one more rep this week. <laughs> exercise physiology, that's how it works, right? It's like, because yeah. that's, I don't know, all the videos where Cowboy is talking about me is just like, Sherbert just does the same shit all the time. <laughs> all these strength coaches, they all do the same boring shit he hates it so for him buy-in for him who hates to do the lifting the buy-in for him was obviously getting older and understanding that um he he needs to strength train to keep himself healthy Mm -hmm. so it wasn't just it wasn't just to help the sport but it was also preventative so if we're going to talk about it helping your performance great but we also need to talk about how it can be preventative in helping you um, prevent injuries, right? So wow. when you're getting your joints and your tendons and your ligaments and all those things stronger, you're going to prevent a lot of injuries in, say, striking and jujitsu and all of that. So it's just going to help you all around, yeah. right? When you do it properly. Yeah. It make, I like to say that strength training done properly can make you bulletproof. And that's why I think it's so super important. It just has to be done properly. That's, that's the kicker and that is the be-all and end-all is that it has to be applied properly. The programming has to be applied properly. I love that point you made about comparing it to a punch. I'm going to steal that because it's it's so true. Just because someone learns how to throw a jab doesn't mean they stop training. It. No. Doesn't mean they stop asking their coach if they're doing it correctly and have it done over and over again when your coach is holding pads for you. Yeah. It's the same thing with the, the respect of having a strength coach. Yeah. You know, like just because you now know your primal movements doesn't mean you just... And this is the greatest thing that irks me when people are like, why do I need a trainer for a year? It's like <laughs> at least a year. At least a you year. You know, because we're going to go through the foundations. That's going to take one-fourth of that time yeah. minimum. Yeah. And then we're going to phase you out into different cycles yeah. of programming. But it's like... Exactly. And then, and then even with athletes, it's like understanding the, the, the phases in their sport for that programming. So MMA is one of those things that doesn't have a true off-season. You could have two fights back-to-back. How do you program for that? Like, it's just understanding those type of programming minutia details that can make or break yeah. training a fighter, right? So, like, when I was training a football player and a rugby player, we had specific in and off seasons, right? So the guys that were in season, obviously, we moderated volume and um, 
they never wanted to stop training because they were in season. We just modified it to account for all the work that they're doing in season, right? Um, and then for fighters, again, like I said, it's just it's just understanding the, that nothing. It's like I like to we I use undulating periodization, so it can train change weekly or daily based on how that fighter walks into that gym that day. Big time. I can have a program written out and and Buddy could have twisted his ankle in, in striking last night. So, okay, so then we're doing all upper body and core stability, and we're going to work on a little bit of mobility today. Yeah. There's always something we can do. Um, one of the best lessons I had was one of the first fighters I ever had was Travis Galbraith. We still keep in contact to this day. Love that dude to death. One of the I got blessed with a really gifted athlete, and he made me look really good uh, with my shitty programming when I first started. Mm-hmm. But... Um, uh, the, he broke his hand and couldn't, he was like, well, I guess we can't train. And I was like, no, nope, I'm going to find a way we can do this. So I did a bunch of research and the NFL was doing a lot of, um, training, um, their athletes just on the opposite side so that there's cross innervation. So cross innervation means that the body will never allow the other side of the body to get more than 20% difference. So I said, well, we'll just train your good side the whole time. He's like, how's that going to work? We're going to, I'm going to be all lopsided. I'm like, (laughs) according to this research, you won't be. So let me, let me guinea pig this on you. So sure enough, we did. And when he was able to hold a dumbbell, he, the dumbbell was only, I think it was only, I think we accounted for like 16% difference in weight Mm -hmm. and he was back up. They were even within three weeks. Awesome. So that, that's where I learned that injuries shouldn't be limiting or be all and end all. Shouldn't turn you into a couch potato. No, there's always a way to modify. And you always, like, if you have a limb broken, there's always three other ones that you can work on. And there's other things that you could work on. So that's the other thing about strength training that MMA guys have to understand that it can always be modified. But there's always the reality is that I would say about 98% of fighters hate strength training. Yeah. In my experience, it's just one of those things that they don't care. It's not the highest thing on the priority list because they're looking at it like, how is this going to make me a better fighter again? If we're going to look at the pyramid of, you know, where, where, where we stand, we're usually like, instead of the meat and potatoes, we're usually at the top of how much, you know, they put into us. Unfortunately, well, I it's mean, changing now. It's you, changing. You said it starts with one, so I hope after those who <laughs> listen to this, who are in the MMA yeah. space, it goes from ninety-eight to ninety-seven. Yeah, it's know? just it's just about finding the right coach that understands the programming, yeah. that understands the sport, that understands your you athlete. Do need that. Yeah, yeah, it needs to be the right coach, and I feel like it, you can't just sink or swim in this case. You have to know what you're doing, you know. And I think what was beautiful with your first example was you clearly did everything you could to research on how um, you know someone like the first MMA fighter you worked with can still be operational because that's yeah. exciting. Can still improve. Exactly. We can still improve. It's like, it, I say, I say injuries are a chance to bring up your weaknesses. Yeah. So it's like, if you're injured on something that you're really good at, well, let's focus on the things that you're not, yeah. you know, and get those and let's work on your deficiencies. Right. Yeah. Um, that's a, there's a time and a place for everything. Right. And uh, again, I'll speak to application, but there's just a time for, for certain exercises and time not. And then, you know, volume. And yeah, not to take it from a different perspective, but if we summarize it this way, it's like, I, I feel the same way even about my game in jujitsu where mm-hmm. I, I keep telling my jujitsu coach, Hudefa, I'm like, you know, I feel like you've, you've brought me back to the excitement level, but also the, the humbling feeling of what it's like to be a white belt again. Yeah. Because we're working on what were my weaknesses. Yeah. It's because 
it's been noticed now that I'm putting, I'm being put in situations where I can't use my strengths anymore. Yeah. And everyone at the gym notices, I'm gonna go for the double leg. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna try and keep that underhook. I'm gonna try and be on top. Mm -hmm. So what they do is they, they ensure that doesn't happen. So they take me down. Now yeah. I end up on my back. So I have to be better at being on my back. And I've been being, I've been put in situations where I need to start wrestling with my legs. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm so, I, I was so eager to wanting to use my hands and, you know, mm -hmm. wrestle and take the guy down. And it's just Hudefa said, no, like, listen, let's just pretend you don't have those. Yeah. So whether you're injured or not, I argue that it's a, it's a great point to make when you're a coach to just recognize like, hey, like, let's get you confident in all aspects because yeah. you might end up in this situation. I want to make sure that if you do, that you're safe and you're secure and you know what you're doing. Exactly. You know? Exactly. So I, I appreciate everything you shared, Shara. <laughs> you know, like, it was, uh, I, I really like this episode. This is exciting, of course, because, you know, my personal bias is I'm, I'm, I'm in the sport yeah. and, you know, I really, I like to live vicariously through what everything my brother is doing, you know? I think, I think if there was a takeaway, I wish that all athletes, regardless of the sport, would look and to find a good strength coach. Yeah. And to understand that, um, what that looks like for you is not what's on Instagram. Exactly. <laughs> oh. Um, because you know, usually what we do is not sexy and it's not cool, but those are the good coaches. The good coaches that are not trying to kill you for the gram are the ones that you want to seek out. The good coaches are the ones that are not worried about the gram. They're, you know, they're, they're actually really into your, your progress and making sure that you are progressing properly and not getting injured and making sure that what you're doing works with your other skills. Yeah. Um, you know, so finding a good coach is super important regardless of the athlete. I agree. I was going to ask you this off air. Mm -hmm. uh, I might as well ask you now where, you know, someone like myself who clearly enjoys the sport and is a trainer, I'm telling you, I've had, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but I've had like such an impossible time finding a certification on training MMA athletes. You know, or just at least finding some <laughs> sense of education on helping combat sport athletes. So don't specify MMA. Yeah. Look, like, remember I said I went to Altus and learned how those guys were coaching? Yeah, And yeah, that's fair. track and field certification. It that's wasn't, it helped was, you. Yeah, it's helped me, like, learning how to coach. But if you're going to talk about finding a certification for MMA strength and conditioning, man, there, I haven't seen anything out there. Like, also, I haven't been looking. So, you Isn't know, that surprising? Like that surprised me. I'm sure there is. Like I'm sure there is. I just don't look, yeah. right? Like cuz That's fair. Cuz um but Landau Performance in Denver does mm -hmm. train to win. I think they're doing one in September actually. And Landau Landau Performance is all about football, but they have a ton of MMA athletes including Gaethje and all those guys down there. Mm -hmm. So, I know all the this the MMA strength and conditioning coaches down there. Um and I believe they're trained to win. I did both phases. Uh, was awesome. so important in teaching me how to take care of my athletes. Good. Um, so don't look for MMA strength and conditioning. Look mm -hmm. for something athletic that okay. is has foundations that will transfer to other sports. Because when I saw the football players and the MMA players doing the same warm up, I was just like, wow. Like, but it's all, it's an athlete. No, regardless, you can get specific in the exercises, um, or the, the programming of those exercises. But listen, a football player is going to need to squat just the same way that a, the, that a fighter is going to need to squat. It just comes down to how the load is and the volume. 
Yes. Right? And the rep range. So that's the difference. Exactly. Squats are squats, man. It just comes down to application. <laughs> yeah. I was like, there's no secret exercises. It's always about application. So honestly, I would have to look around and see what I could find for yeah. legitimate. I know there's like Phil DeRue from um, American Top, Top Team. He has some product online about programming. Cool. I would recommend buying the online programming from some of these strength and conditioning coaches to see what they're doing yeah. and start it, there right to buy some of their programming uh phil deru uh coach brett uh bartholomew i'll birch butcher his name but um he's been he had a program out um there's a lot of the strength and conditioning coaches putting out their own stuff but yeah. not certifications yeah. just programs yeah and so here's what you them. do oh yeah i buy i like before it was like like five years ago, I was buying programs just to see what the other coaches were doing. Yeah. Like, and, and yeah, like I wanted to learn in, from them. So well, that's a sauce right there. It's all yeah. in the sauce. You don't necessarily yeah. need a certification. Yeah. If you understand how to squat <laughs> and apply yeah. it. I can teach that. Okay, here's what they need to you do. Sh- you should be able, it's just about finding out strategies for the sport specifically yes. is what you're after. Awesome. Yep. Well, that's well worth, uh, well worthy advice. I'm going to take that on. And uh, next time you see me, I'm going to have a batch of new programming. (laughs) (laughs) You got it. You got to try it or else you'll never know. Right. Application is everything. And trying it yourself. That's another thing that I argue is like, try it yourself before you decide. I've been a lifter my, like for, oh God, I don't want to age myself. Um, (laughs) I've been lifting weights since I was 23 years old. So 20 some years I've been lifting weights. So of course I understand how everything feels. Right. So for me, that's, that's really important in the, in the application. So yes, do the program. Absolutely. That's awesome. We're going to leave it on this note. We like to ask all of our guests this question. Feel free to uh, share with us. (laughs) No, what is it? It's, um, you know, what does it take in your opinion, Shara, to, to be on the second floor in life? And that's really metaphorical for saying, you know, how to always take it to the next level. You know, you're someone who we believe is uh, a great candidate, obviously, and, Mm -hmm. you know, doing everything you're doing to evolve and adapt and, you know, always just like never settle for less mentality. Um, Clearly, in some of the conversations we've had today and yesterday, you indoctrinate that. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, for everyone listening and just wondering your Mm -hmm. opinion, you know, what is it that it takes to be on the second floor? You know, the first thing that pops into my head, and this is because I'm old is uh, work ethic. I can't stress enough that people want things in life but don't understand the work that it takes to get there. And work ethic is something my father taught me who's an entrepreneur, that if you want something, you work for it. Nothing is handed to you. And, and I can tell you that when you work for it, it means a hell of a lot more than when something's handed to you. So to me, work ethic. It's, and by work ethic... And now in this day and age, we talk about work ethic and, and putting on boundaries and not burning out. I don't believe in burnout. Um, I burnt out. I burnt out many times in my career. Um, in hindsight, I wish I would have taken some breaks, but I had, but I was letting the work ethic get the best of me. But just understanding sound work ethic, solid work ethic, where you don't burn out, where you're mm. not afraid to work and you're not afraid to hustle, but understand some boundaries too, because yeah. and not having anything handed to you. I can't stress that enough. There. Nothing is worth anything when it's handed to you. Mm-hmm. It means everything when you work for it. Absolutely. Like that's what I feel about my gym. And that's why all the shit that I've been through in the past 13 years in business and 17 years as a trainer, like you're going to have to pry that gym from a cold dead hands. Like, you know what sure. I mean? Because it's like 
the thing that I work so hard for. Becomes your baby. Yeah. So I guess it would be work ethic. It's just understand the work needed to accomplish something. Yeah. And don't take shortcuts. It's just Rome wasn't built in a day. No. And and you you get to now see how every day you made it count. Yeah. And don't look for hacks. That's that's what that goes into the work. I hate the hacks. The shortcuts. Yeah, the quick fix. The quick fix. Right? I mean, a, that's where the good shit happens is that journey. Like, you, if yeah. you if you take a hack, you miss all this good shit over here. Yeah, I think, you know, my, my cousin and I were literally talking about this last night where it's like, you know what? Whatever you end up choosing as a result of what you want to have in your life, well, you, you shouldn't care so much about keep continuously thinking about that result because whatever that result is, you're going to love. Mm-hmm. So you should love the journey mm-hmm. that Don't gets you there. Don't be outcome-based. Exactly. Yeah. Be process based. Yeah, exactly. Right. Enjoy the process. Yeah. So I couldn't agree more. And um, I feel like with what turned into what about an hour and a half to two hours oh, yeah. of talking, Ooh, it okay. just shows time flies. And I really appreciate your time, Shara. Uh, if anyone wants to continue to follow your journey and uh, even just connect with you, mm-hmm. where where can they find you? Um, well, uh, at SVPT Fitness on Instagram is my business, and then at Shara Vijan on Instagram is me, which is boring. It's just boring stuff. <laughs> it's just it's personal boring. stuff. <laughs> it's personal stuff. I've, I've, I don't post a lot. I do on the stories, but yeah, the SPPT is 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 my business and my gym and mm-hmm. and what we're about on there. Awesome. Well, if anyone out there is listening from the Edmonton community, you know uh, where to go to next <laughs> to you know get your next sweat on. And I, I really appreciate you being here. I Shira. really appreciate this. This was a lot of fun. Yep, absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's a wrap. There it is.